Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhouse, and I am joined by our panelist, TJ Van Tol. Hey, everybody. And our special guest today is Florian Rappel. Welcome. Hi. So, Florian, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and why you're famous. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm famous, but yeah, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, my name is Florian Rappel. I'm a solution architect from Munich, Germany. If you know me, you may know me from my work in the web community, especially TypeScript, React, Microfrontend these days, especially. You may also maybe know me because of my work in the .NET C Sharp community. They are my Microsoft MVP since more than 10 years now. Now depends if they what they do with the counting. They they switched <laughs> the, the let's say award ceremony there. It was always the full year, then it's now let's say in the mid of the year, so they always make it, let's say, both, both years. I don't know. But anyway, it should be 10 years now. Either way, so this is also where I spend, of course, most of my time. I write articles, I write blog posts. I wrote a book recently, so it was a big achievement for me. So uh, a lot of work uh, shouldn't be underestimated, and I'm, I'm very happy that finally got released. So I guess we will talk a little bit about that, too. And yeah, besides that, I'm contributing to open source. And uh, in my professional work, I always do well architecture review, a lot of implementation work, and uh, you know, working together with, with a lot of different teams and a lot of different clients, and always having fun, just staying on top of the say, technology advancements. And it's uh, quite some, some interesting time that we're living in. So <laughs> that's me in a nutshell, so to speak. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development, you know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often won't give me information on, and that's, hey, it's too slow, it's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me it's not fast enough, and Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in, it gives me all the performance data, and I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load, that's way too long, and I can go in and I can fix those issues, and then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So, if you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you want to make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. Visit sentry.io slash signup and use promo code REACTROUNDUP. That's all one word, REACTROUNDUP, for three free months of their base team plan. Wow, that's quite a list of achievements. I'm not sure when you find the time to sleep with everything that sounds like you've got going on. Yeah, my rings are, uh, yeah. <laughs> the good thing is, I mean, I have two little daughters, so sleep is pretty much off the table anyway. So. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, it just always goes, yeah. One step further, one step further, and uh, since it's all so much fun, uh, let's say uh, writing all these these great React projects, working with micro frontends, always of course 
being interested in, in everything that's happening out there. It's just, uh, well, all too exciting to sleep, I would say. Yeah. But sometimes I often need to rest, of course. Yeah. That's called vacation. Nice. Is there vacation with kids? Uh, that's a <laughs> debate, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, at least. So they're, they're growing older. So the, the vacation days are also, in my experience, a little bit expanding, right? So started with zero. Now we are at maybe a week of vacation per year accumulated. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I love the enthusiasm. So one article that really caught our eye was one that you wrote for Log Rocket, which we will link to in the show notes. And it's called React is a Black Box. And why does this matter? Do you think that you could give our audience, if they haven't read it, a little bit of insight into it and, and your opinion on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, please read the article, everyone. But uh, to, to, let's say, summarize it in uh, two or three sentences, if you're using React, you're mostly, well, not using it very much directly. Of course, you're writing, let's say, React components and all that, which are pretty much only functions these days. Uh, most of the things that, that React does for you, it does under the hood, which means you don't explicitly interact with its API, and it's really just a black box. So you just throw something in, and you expect it to work. Your components being efficient, re-rendering just happening very fast. You have a lot of stuff going on, but you just expect it to work, right? And there are, of course, pros and cons to this approach. There are I mean, there's a reason why React is successful, and one of that reasons is certainly that it's a black box. You don't need to care about what makes it efficient or what, what really goes on behind the curtain. But on the other hand, of course, sometimes you're wondering, why is my component slow? Why is it not really behaving the way I think it is? And this is where this black box really comes from the other side, right? And it hurts you because you can't really see what's going on, and debugging this can be... yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much time I spent debugging React components that don't behave the way I, I imagined they should behave. And personally, of course, I mean, you can already see that I have both sides in here. I'm a little bit torn apart. I think, I mean, the really React's great achievement and what makes functional programming also great is that the runtime is doing a lot of stuff for you. And you get a lot of guarantees then on your, let's say, programmer side that you don't need to take care of. Off, right? You just say, okay, I always have my state here. I can be sure that no one else is fiddling with that because it's immutable, for instance, and all that. And you just work with it and you say, well, all these, let's say what makes it efficient is under the, the hood and it just works. And I think yeah, there will always be this trade-off. So it shouldn't be uh, too problematic in React's case. And uh, my personal point of view is, well, you can't have the, the let's say, perfect thing here that just does everything for you and you will never complain about it. There will always be these edge cases and you will then, of course, pay the price in some debugging, let's say, sessions that you would have wanted to avoid. But yeah, this is the price we pay. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to improve it. And doesn't mean we can't criticize it. It just means that I think it's a good model after all, but we should be aware of it. And that's that's my personal point of view. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. It, in a way, this is like the classical software paradigm, like how much you trust a black box versus how much you control on your own. I feel like it's somewhat, at least somewhat new to the front end world, at least, because back in the day, I feel like the jQuery days, like jQuery, I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a black box. It's It's got APIs that abstract things for you. But you could sort of fundamentally know what jQuery is doing under the hood. Like the code could get a little bit gnarly, but you know, they're like abstracting browser APIs for you. They're they're doing some basic things. And 
if jQuery didn't do exactly what you wanted, it's like, okay, you at least had a rough idea of what was wrong or how to work around it. Whereas I feel like nowadays with stuff like React, and this isn't really specific to React because you could make the same argument for other frameworks as well, but there really is a lot more magic going on than there used to be. So if something went wrong in jQuery, like I could probably go into the DOM and at least get a high level overview of what's going wrong. But if like React doesn't reconcile my JSX like correctly in some situations, I mean, I, I've certainly ran into, and, and this is rare, but sometimes I run into React situations where it's like, oh man, like unless I unless I Google it and find somebody that ran into the same problem that has like some ideas of what I can do, like it can be, I can be at a loss because it's just, there's a lot more complexity in the front end world than there used to be. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there's just some use cases that React doesn't have a solve for. And this, I think this came about earlier in React's life cycles, like when it was still using a lot of class-based components, but there were some situations where if you like, you wanted a modal, for instance, to just, pop out and sit on top of everything else that you could then either interact with or just close and go back. It was really, really hard or darn near impossible to make that happen in a way that made sense or was as easy as some of the other JavaScript frameworks like Angular made it. So there was a lot of, at least for me, when I was getting familiar with React and starting to learn it, there were a lot of really frustrating moments where I couldn't Mm -hmm. do things that I would have been able to do pretty easily in other Mm -hmm. JavaScript frameworks. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's funny that you make that comparison of it being a black box because that's almost something that I haven't heard React described as in a very long time. It seems like Angular really took that and got hammered (laughs) a lot with it because of all their specific syntax and components and the way that they wanted everything built and styled. But everybody's like, oh, React, you can do anything with it. But you're you're very right in that if it's something under the hood that we don't have either access to or any understanding of that's mm-hmm. in their source code, yeah, we're we're limited in that regard. I mean, the Angular example is a, is a good one because that is, I mean, if you look at Angular, let's write it a couple of times, and I mean, there may be uh, some folks in the, in the audience who completely disagree with me, but for me, it always felt wrong because. They pretty much reinvented everything, and you couldn't even use other stuff from, you know, I mean, the plain JavaScript ecosystem, because I mean, you first had to wrap it in some some Angular-specific notion of a, a service, or you know, uh, following all their terminology and and what they, I mean, that they made a, a great thing, but it was, in my opinion, always, why do you need to re re-engineer that? that? That's already there. The browser already ships with that. Why? Why do you need to wrap it just to bring it to your framework? And so, I mean. Angular may be on the runtime, people may disagree with me, less complex than, than what React is. Certainly there are other areas like injection, for instance, or what it does is metadata reflection and so on, where it is certainly more complex. But if you look at the core edit, right, the reconciliation algorithm here, what really makes React special. So this is a lot of complexity that's completely hidden for you, from you doing, let's say, your work usually. Whereas React Angular was always on this change detection algorithm. And, and so in this case, it's a little bit more lightweight. But then it brought all this complexity, also in form of a, what you could call a black box, because it was also just throwing terminology at you and use everything from our framework. And we then do something under the hood, which goes back to basic browser APIs, right? So you could look at it from two angles. And certainly in some perspective, React was very open. 
and Angular was a black box. But from other perspective, and this is really where we look at the core runtime, it's the other way around. And then, of course, you can ask, well, what is the better way? Personally, I mean, I already, I guess, gave enough hints. I think React's way is quite good, even though, and this is great that you mentioned the model, uh, React always tries to then, let's say, find solutions. So they introduced, for instance, the Portal API, which is a great API, in my opinion. But in the last two, three, four years, we got a lot of new APIs, I mean, starting with hooks. You've got all these things that you certainly now use from React that previously we were only using, I mean, create elements unknowingly, but the class component knowingly. And now it's, it's really a lot of things like lazy you should use, I guess, all the hooks, of course, because they're awesome, even though highly debated. And so now you have this whole zoo and, and I'm not even starting the strict mode and all that stuff. So where you, that you also should know. So also here, I mean, suddenly complexity goes into the API, comes at the user, and you now need to make decisions. So it's it's not as severe as with Angular, but it starts also to shift here. But the worst case is, of course, if you have, let's say, API complexity like Angular, plus you have the internal complexity, because suddenly you need to know a lot of things to use it, and then you need a, to, know, uh, to know a lot of things to debug it. And this is like, oh, well, I don't know. These, I mean, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't go in that way. Uh, if it goes, React will not be... That's successful anymore, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious, like based off this, like what advice you have for like the just the average React developer, like building their their apps. Is this something you think people should just be aware of? Is this a reason to like avoid React or use it only when you need it? I'm I'm curious what advice you'd have for people. Would you still reach for it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always reach for it, even though I, I'm very, let's say, open for alternatives. There are these days, I mean, a lot of what I would call lightweight alternatives to, to React. Things like SolidJS, for instance, which say, okay, what React brought to the table, how you write components, this is really great. But maybe what other frameworks bring to the table, let's pick, for instance, Svelte. Svelte is, in my opinion, also an awesome framework, is also good. So how can we combine these? to make, for instance, the amount of JavaScript that we ship to the user, yeah, less heavy. And I mean, this was always one concern with these, let's say, more bloated frameworks. I mean, React is certainly not in that space. When, when Angular started, I don't really want to, let's say, bash Angular. And please forgive me for always mentioning it. I'm just an Angular noob. Always think of that when I talk. So anyway, I was always shipping, or I saw at least the guys shipping for Hello World. 600, 700, 800 kilobytes of JavaScript, minified, of course, gzips, a little bit less, but nevertheless, it's nearly a megabyte. And all you did was, I don't know, using HTTP service in there, and it really some elementary stuff, but not really a lot of pages, just, you know, one, one simple page that was just fetching something. And of course, in React, you could have that a lot more lightweight, but you still would ship, I don't know, 150, 120, something like that, still three digit amount of JavaScript. So all you do is fetch maybe one resource and, and display a little string on, on, the, on the screen. Now, of course, one could argue, I mean, this is not what React was built for. You should then build a real single-page application. And suddenly, if you have, I don't know, one, one and a half megabytes of, of JavaScript, hopefully lazy loaded and chunks and so on, then it suddenly makes sense. You, you can afford bringing React and React DOM, especially React DOM. I mean, React is still lightweight to, to the end user. But then we have now these other frameworks like Solid, and they really aim for, let's pick this small use case apart. We can still help you, make you productive, 
and then we just ship the minimal amount. So what is my recommendation? If all you want to do is write re something really simple, one screen, just look around. You will find something that will suit you from how you approach the thing as a developer with a community also, enough documentation, and maybe also being efficient and lightweight. If you say you're building a full single-page application, a tool-like experience, I always call it, you say you're building the next Photoshop in the browser or something, I mean, React is certainly a good choice. You can certainly afford shipping this 100, 120 kilobytes additionally, which GZIP uh, is maybe, I don't know, 50, 40 kilobytes, I don't know, something in that range. So that certainly doesn't make a, a great difference. So that would be my my recommendation. There are a lot of great frameworks. And I mean, the principles and the, the paradigm that React brought to the table, you can find now in a, a multitude of, of frameworks. And there are really some great ones just because they don't have so many stars or not baked by, by Facebook doesn't mean they are worse. Just look around, make sure that they are properly maintained and, and not just stop tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's just decent software development advice in general, right? Like abstractions in and of themselves are not bad. Black boxes are not bad, but you have to accept a certain amount of trade-offs. You have to make sure if you need the abstraction, if you need that complexity, if you're dealing with that level of problem, then great. Like that's a trade-off. It's probably good for you. But if you're solving a much simpler problem, you could probably reach for a much simpler tool, at least to start with. Right, right. And I mean, this discussion with obstruction is also not new, but I'm surprised that these days it seems like obstructions, well, at least there is a little bit of, let's say, a trend in articles to say obstructions are bad, be, be, be cautious here. And I mean, of course, they're right. There is no simple solution to say, oh, I mean, always obstruct away. Uh, we've seen in the Angular example, sorry, again, it, it will be a theme in the next <laughs> episode, I guess, uh, that too much abstraction will just hurt you because you need to learn all these things too, right? So at first it starts simple. Oh, for just one abstraction, I can save these three lines, but suddenly, oh, oh, which abstraction did I use to abstract these three lines? I need to find it. And suddenly you're more concerned about finding the right function that you extracted formally than just to, to do the coding, right? And uh, so there's always this trade-off and there's certainly no one size fits them all solution here, like with everything, right? So this is one of the things that I always criticize. Many articles only say, oh, this is good, or everything else is bad. Mm, yeah, I mean, there's always a reason why, for instance, why exists, even though why is now bad and X is the new, <laughs> new thing to do, right? There was a reason for that, and we shouldn't forget that reason. Maybe, of course, technology advanced and maybe why is really not the thing to do anymore, but maybe there was a reason and that reason just, well, in this context is not valid anymore or something else should be, let's say, considered too. And it's always good to know the trade-offs and what other things exist and in, in what context they make sense because, yeah, I mean, there is, in my opinion, there is no real black and white always. It's just gray and you need to find which shade of gray you, you uh, fit to your uh, particular problem. And uh, I guess, yeah, we can discuss it in the React context, but as you said, it's all in soft. I mean, I guess also generations before knew that and we, we, we also learn it again. At least I do. And yeah, it's, it's always a, a little bit of this cycle that, that uh, goes around and we just need to see, right? Where we end up is where we are currently and uh, what we can do to just, yeah, not make the same mistakes again. I mean, I think this is the only thing to, to really go forward, to reflect a bit and to, to find, let's say, 
a better way forward and to not forget why we picked that one. Um, the why is quite often really crucial. Yeah, I feel like the I, the ebb and flow is an interesting way of putting it because I feel like that's we've had cycles like that before, even in the front end world. Like I remember there was a time where pretty large JavaScript frameworks were quite popular. There are things like Dojo and Sencha, things that were fairly fairly heavy that got popular for a while, and then there was the push towards jQuery and like s- smaller things, and then now we started to creep back up again with some of these JavaScript frameworks. And I almost feel like this is true in the build tools world as well. Like there's, I mean, there was a while where Webpack had like a monopoly and everybody was totally cool with it. And now it's like cool to be like counter Webpack and to be using all these like hip new, strangely (laughs) named tools that are like different and smaller and faster. And it's, it's like we just as an industry, we can't make up our mind. Like as soon as we go too far in one direction, we come back in the other. Yeah, it's very much a pendulum of of popular opinion. But one thing that I remember from a senior developer telling me once, which I, I liked a lot, was that if I could explain to him why I had chosen a particular way to solve a problem or style or whatever, he was fine with it. He just wanted a reason for why I was choosing to to solve a problem other than, well, it was like this in the rest of the code, or I saw somebody online do it, or somebody told me if I had a valid viewpoint, he was totally good with it. It was just have a reason for why you're choosing to do it this way. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good attitude. But I mean, code reviews or let's say, yeah, just knowing why things went in a certain direction are always good to, let's say, be based on, on well, this kind of knowledge. Because at the end of the day, I mean, there will be always also new people joining the team. Plus, of course, people that are not as, as on, on your level or as senior as you. And so for them, knowing the reason is also really good as a learning experience, either to the company, to the project, or to, to software development in, in, in general, right? And so I, I always think that quite often we are not asking the why <laughs> or answering the why good enough. At least I know that for myself. So I think this is always something we, where we can be also, yeah, full of critics of ourselves and always try to improve. And yeah. I think the the why question is one that is uh, also, of course, if we go back to the black box topic, one that you don't really see them, right? This is again, you're interacting with something where the system is is completely hidden from you, so you don't see why things why it ends up in that state. Yeah, and microphone ends would be also a good why question. Why are you doing microphone end? This is something I get asked a lot these days because believe it or not, <laughs> I don't well, know that- how. You- feel about micro frontends if you heard a lot about it or on what side of the pendulum you are but this is again like <laughs> uh, guys are saying we just had microservice didn't work or was used for everything uh, and and uh, shouldn't be used for everything totally agreed and the other guys will say oh microservice was so great now we need to do micro frontends we don't know why because our, our front end is working great but we want to do it and so, I mean, also here I have the full spectrum. We'll really be eager to know what, what your opinions are <laughs> on this one. Well, that's a great segue, actually, as we were talking about things that are gaining popularity. So I have not really worked with micro front ends. I've worked in a very heavy microservice environment where we had different back ends, mostly serving one one single front end. But I'd love to hear more about what is the use case, because I've had pretty big mono repos that are 
massive React projects. So I could see if you could break that up, that would possibly be useful. But I'd love to hear more about how this came about and your your experiences with it. And TJ, I don't know if you've ever worked with micro friends either. Yeah, similar experience. I've, I've got a backend with micros or a background with microservices, <laughs> but never really had a use case for a micro front end. So maybe, so maybe a good place to start is maybe you could just give us like the, the very simple, like 101, what is a micro front end? Why would you use it? That sort of thing. Yeah. All right. So micro front ends are all about distributing the work on, on a front end application. And there are various ways to do it, which is where the complexity already comes into play here. So you could, for instance, do what you just described as a monorepo. You could do that. You could say, okay, we just now make certain libraries, let's say component libraries, for instance. And in order to, let's say, have it still all together, we have them in a monorepo and we have one large build. That could certainly justify, let's say, or could be counted as a micro front end. But then we still have maybe large or longer build times, let's say. We still have maybe conflicting pull requests. And we still need to give everyone access to this. Plus, of course, yeah, CI, CD, I already mentioned the long build times. Now, everyone, of course, shares the same build pipeline, which means this is always, let's say, the one bottleneck potentially. And so there are, of course, other ways. So one way is to say, okay, instead of having real microservices, we now have micro web servers, so to speak. So servers that still... Yeah, are there, but instead of serving, for instance, JSON, they may still do. They now serve also HTML. And then we combine these things, for instance, on a, on a an, uh, reverse proxy. So we, we have one, API, like an API gateway in front of it that now takes these different HTML fragments, puts them together, spits it out. Challenge here is, of course, how do you now debug this? You're responsible of one of these fragments. How do you get that? And who's responsible for, for let's say, maintaining that reverse proxy or this, let's call it micro front end gateway. The area where I'm mostly working is in the third one, where you say, oh, what you can do is you still may have something like these component lips, but instead of needing a, a build process with tooling like Webpack or another bundler, you deploy them independently in form of still JavaScripts, for instance. And now you combine them in the front end. And there are a couple of Popular approaches, usually you, what you do here is, of course, you have then a single page application and sometimes people call it in a single page application of single page applications because each of these JavaScripts can be an independent single page application. I'm not really into that one, but nevertheless, you can, can of course refer to it. The gist of it is that you need some orchestration engine now in the front end that runs in your browser on your web app and that can handle now getting these different JavaScripts and bringing them together isolating them as well as possible, even though, I mean, there are limits, of course, in document object models. If you want to have true isolation, only way to do it is an iframe, which is problematic for a couple of reasons. Then, of course, we have the web components here in this space. They allow us at least to have proper style isolation, which is great and can be also not so great. My opinion is falling apart here. Uh, and, uh, but we still have, from the scripting perspective, a lot of potential conflicts. And then we can also do something like, uh, yeah, standard script injection with ESMs or UMD modules. Uh, and here, things like uh, Single Spa or the framework where I contribute to, which is called Pyrel, they help you to, to use that as an orchestration engine. So in the end, it's really about that you allow different teams to work 
on the same application, even though they have their own repository, own CI/CD pipeline, right, which allows to ship new updates of their code or a new feature in in really uh, seconds to minutes, uh, depending how it is all set up, instead of waiting longer and maybe having more bloated processes sharing things. So this is what it is about. A little bit like in the microservice department. Uh, also here, uh, you often hear, uh, hear uh, one argument. You can now use independent technology. So one team uses React, another uses Angular. Well, let's not go there, right? <laughs> Personally, I, I would say you should try to, to have a set of core technologies because it's the front end. If you combine it in the front end on the, in the browser, right, you ship all that to, to user's browser. And if you suddenly run 10 frameworks in this yeah, maybe on a mobile device, it will not be a great experience, right? So you should maybe try to to limit it to one, or maybe there's this other cool framework that's used in a particular page or a particular part of your page. Maybe you should try to limit it. But I guess it's the same again as with microservices. There, the, the goal was also never to have a patchwork of technologies. It was always to just you know allow using different technologies that's been the best thing, the best tool for the job. If you have their service that deals a lot with, I don't know, data manipulation, you can use a language or a framework that's dedicated to that. If you have another service that, I don't know, should do something else, and you have a team that only knows, I don't know, C-sharp.net, they can use this, this one. And I guess it's similar here, right? So you shouldn't, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> But yeah, it gives you a little bit more freedom. And this is what microfrontends are about, giving you this freedom to actually yeah, have distributed development possible and be a little bit more flexible and, and agile in that regard. But there are, of course, maybe that's a good transition. <laughs> there are, of course, counter arguments too, right? So complexity rises with that too. Uh, and uh, you need somehow to yeah have this orchestration layer under control. You also need new processes because yeah, now teams can... Maybe deploy independently. Maybe you don't want that. Yeah, maybe you want that. It, it always depends. And so you always, of course, also here shift complexity, right? So you gain something, but then something else is maybe a little bit worse or challenging than before. And no silver bullet there too. Yeah. Well, no, it's interesting because I'm thinking like, so it helps my brain to think in terms of like concrete examples. So I'm imagine I'm building my like standard React app, but I have a shop and the shop is quite a bit different. And so today, because I, my brain doesn't think in terms of micro front ends, I would think like, oh, okay, my shop is quite a bit different. So I'm going to want to do my best to make sure I'm like lazy loading that or like deferring loading of that. But I would still, my gut would still be like, oh, well, of course, I'd keep that a part of my same React application, right? I just make sure to try to do my best to lazily load this stuff in. It sounds like the micro front end approach would essentially say, that shop would be almost like its own separate project in a sense, right? That it would, that there's some like, like you said, orchestration layer that figures out how to bring that app in and reconcile it. So first of all, I'm curious if my understanding of this is correct. And then I'm also trying to get like, it sounds like the benefits of this is it's because it's like it's isolated thing, then the team that's working on it can kind of work on it potentially even like deploy it without worrying about the rest of the app. Like if you're, mm -hmm. we assume the rest of our React app is quite large, it probably would take forever to build and test and deploy and having like little logical sections of these isolated, I could see some benefits of that. But like you said, I could also see trade-offs. So I guess, first of all, is my understanding of this correct? Does that use case sort of make sense? When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. 
My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, it makes, regarding the shop, most, I mean, there are a lot of e-commerce companies that, that use micro frontends. Most of them, however, don't do client-side, what we call client-side composition. So where the, we already ship a JavaScript that acts as the orchestration layer and then brings together the, the other scripts. Most of these companies actually do the server-side composition here. The reason is, First of all, their parts are not really so much about interactivity. Uh, second, they care a lot about performance. So they, they really want to have something that can be pre-cached and so on, and they just send it out to the to the end user that it's as fast as possible, right? So they follow this 100 milliseconds of, of additional loading time means that less revenue. And so they always try to optimize here. But nevertheless, there are, of course, uh, also e-commerce shops that are built Using micro frontend, using a micro frontend approach. And for that, yeah. So what you would do usually, but there are, of course, a lot of different approaches. But what I personally like as an approach is you, that you follow here more the main driven approach. So what you would want to do is you identify, first of all, the grand theme of your application. Well, it's in the e-commerce space, right? But then you start identifying subdomains here, right? So one subdomain could be, I don't know, a recommendation model. So you're on the product details page. You want to see a list of recommendations related products. I don't know, products that may only make sense for the, for this particular user. And so there could be one team just working on, let's say, a UI fragment for that. This team may also want to bring in, I don't know, something in our menu bar or in, in a, some, some menus here that we, that we offer. And we may have another team that only works on maybe the product details page. There may be a third team working just on the product search. And product search is also interesting because while it may have a dedicated page, right, search results and so on, it also has, of course, maybe a search bar that's always visible and they own this bar, right? So every input and so on that's owned by this one team and so on. So you would actually not just one screen and say this one screen belongs to this one team, but you would actually do it. Well, I actually decompose every screen that I have and maybe I have some main content of this screen that goes into a particular team, but then I see other components that may be on a lot of pages, maybe all pages, may only be on a few pages, but I identify in what domain does this fragment of UI lie. And this is what microfrontends are about, that you can assign the, the correct team that only, let's say, deals now with search, the search bar and the search page, the search result page, and they will do everything with it. And then if they have an improvement for their page, they can ship it completely independently, and they are just responsible for, for that. There, there are also approaches out there. I mean, one that is certainly easier to implement, but in my opinion, will lead to, well, let's say more frustration in team where you divide the UI by what you see on the screen. So you just say, oh, there's a header that should be a microphone. There's a footer, should be another microphone. There's a navigation bar, should be a third microphone. Yeah, you see that it are quite a lot of beginner tutorials. In my opinion, it's, 
there because it, of course, makes sense visually and it's easy to implement. I mean, easier maybe, but on the other hand, of course, it will have a lot of frustration points because suddenly this team that's doing the navigation bar is always, let's say, dragged and pulled by every other team. We need something in here. Under this condition, we need it. Can you just update that? We have a new icon and it will never work out smoothly. I mean, you just created now. Yeah, I don't know if there's a word for it. Maybe spaghetti module or I don't know. Yes, spaghetti is good. We can we can we can invent <laughs> something now here, but but it's really it it will not be maintainable in my in my experience. And so I always advocate going for the identifying domains and putting those into let's say teams or micro frontends, which are then responsible or in charge. Uh, yeah, well, certain teams are in charge of them. That's what I was going to ask is how do you, do you have any advice for how to know when a project has gotten so big or something, a piece of a project is so complex that it should be broken out? Because it seems like that's a very, that might be a very difficult thing to identify when, when is the right time to to break this into its own Mm. separate front end? It's a good question. It depends. (laughs) I always say, if you're happy with your monolith, don't change it. I mean, there's no reason for it. Also, I mean, we started with with the monorepo, right? And I said monorepo can also be something like a microphone solution. It just now combines the different pieces at build time, which is also fine, right? So if you start with a monorepo, for instance, if you say, I don't know if you ever need this micro front end stuff, but it would be nice to architecturally maybe group it. My, my advice would always be, well, start with a monolith, but do it in a monorepo, because if you did that, it will be easy later on to just extract out certain modules and just put a little bit of, with the right framework, debugging, et cetera, capabilities on it. And you then have your distributed micro front end solution, but you don't need to start with it immediately because that adds just complexity at a stage where all you should care about is really bring out your stuff and see that it works. But nevertheless, so when is the right time to, let's say, make the transition? Well, I would say if the majority of the team members are unhappy, <laughs> that's always a good time because if <laughs> frustration grows, I mean, you suddenly have a pain point and you need to solve the pain point. People wouldn't be, let's say, in pain if they would say, oh, we ship features too fast. Well, it's too much fun. We can experiment around this new stuff. Well, that doesn't sound like pain to me. But if they say, oh, my pull request is hanging there for two weeks and we were supposed to ship that feature a month ago, but suddenly all the builds take so long and then there was this conflict here and conflict there. Well, that sounds like something needs to change somewhere. I'm not sure if microphone is the solution here, right? But I'm, I'm sure that something needs to change. And maybe microphone is then a good solution uh, if you hear as pain points, especially things like, I need to go faster, particular features. Uh, so this is really where microphone may hit the nail here. But make no mistake, migration of existing applications. I mean, if we have this case that I just described, monorepo all nicely grouped, this is, this is the beauty. This will work. But usually it's not as nice like this because the application is five years old. It started nice, but then duct tape here, duct tape here. There was a feature that never someone thought of, so we needed to work around for it. Oh, how can we now do that in this distributed world? It will not be a pretty journey. I mean, certainly the architecture will be more sound afterwards, and most time will not be spent in this microphone in space, but rather in how can we distribute it because we made it a spaghetti beforehand. But certainly, I think this is when you hear enough people complaining 
it's a good point to think about it. Yeah, honestly, the the productivity and the sort of flexibility around this seems like the biggest advantage to me because I've certainly been on teams and been in projects where it's like you put it in terms of happiness, but it's it's almost in terms of just like how how able you are to get stuff done because countless times where like you you go to deploy something and it's like oh no we can't put push this out because this is in the way or no this is tied to this release so oh, that's not ready we have to back this out we have to bring in the person who's really good at git to figure out how to reconcile <laughs> all of these problems right and you keep stepping on each other's toes and nobody wants that to be their day at work like you want to be shipping things doing things and Software just being a complicated topic, I think as projects grow, as we work on bigger and bigger things, there's something inherent about that sort of stuff getting in your way. So it, it's an interesting way of breaking it out because as you described it, you're talking far more granular components than I had like pictured in my head. Because again, like I, went, I immediately went to like, oh, my entire shopping experience. But you're talking like just even like individual widgets, like the search or the the products thing. And it's uh, it just goes to show how like my mind is, does not work this way just because I I haven't been a yeah. I haven't really considered this so now like oh, I yeah. have to like retrain my brain to like when I see things like that to think oh like that's that's an option or that's a potential way that I can attack this yeah I mean it takes I mean I'm not working in this now for already more than five years in the microphone and space so when I started with this there was the term microphone and wasn't well, existing yet. So they, they later in the, I think it first came up in the Thoughtworks radar. I don't even know. Someone taught me a while ago where it was first coined. But anyway, that was then coined afterwards. Just retrospectively, I was like, ah, now that's what, that's what I was doing, right? Either way, I mean, that you, you don't start with that right away. And, and still, of course, getting the right decomposition right on, on this domain that I described is also not easy, right? So you, you need, of course, domain experts. You need to know uh, people, of course, that, that really understand the requirements of your solution that you either want to build or that you have built and now want to, let's say, roll out as microphone lens. And yeah, you need, of course, to then train the, the people. Ideally, of course, uh, this is the, at least the experience I had in most projects. I mean, if the microphone and setup was done well, developers of individual modules don't even, let's say, know that they are doing microphone lens. <laughs> I mean, they're just developing I mean, you tell them you now do the shopping basket. They're like, okay. I mean, then they develop ideally, at least now in this client side paradigm, like for a single page application. They even have the debugging experience completely the same as, you know, if, as if you would debug the grand application, right? Only difference is in their view, they only see, let's say, a naked application. Maybe I don't know, had a Buddha in there, some design element, and they are, they are saying that they are focusing on and all the other microphones may not even be there. Maybe they are there. I don't know. They're fused in, but you can decide it in the setup, for instance. And uh, so they don't even know. They just develop there, and they they don't need to know the particularities of this kind of style. And I think this is a good way because we are back at the black box, I guess. Here, if you would now know a lot of stuff or need to know all this stuff, what's what's happening below? I mean, certainly would be great. And in certain edge case conditions, it would help you. No questions asked. But in the 90, 95% case, right? I mean, if the platform, if the runtime already takes away all it for you and all you need to do is focus on your problem and how you solve that, no technological questions asked, no, oh, oh, ah, I need to wire up this with that. No, you just focus on your domain specific problem. This is where you want to be. 
because at the end, I mean, this is also where, for instance, our case, we are getting the money from. Our customer doesn't say, we are paying you to debug React. <laughs> no, we are paying you to bring the, the shopping cart to life, for instance. And I think this working in your problem, I think this is what makes some frameworks productive and great and others, well, technological interesting, but uh, otherwise maybe not that productive. So are these the kinds of things, and I'm sure much more that you talk about in your, your book that you just wrote? Yeah, the book is, I would say, well, let me just hand it into the camera. Uh, it's called The Art of Microfrontends. You can find it on Amazon. It's released from the Pact yeah, Publishing Company. And uh, half of the book is very practical. So there, I mentioned, let's say, the three grant schemes that we have in, in the microfrontend space, right? Build-time, integration, service-side, client-side. Uh, these are well all covered in here. Plus, of course, a lot more patterns. So there's a lot of, also here, a lot of shades of gray, right? So I think it has seven patterns and all of these very practically uh, introduced. But most of the, or let's say the other half of the book really deals then with how do I choose the right domain decomposition? How do I now work with designers, for instance, because they will still design a monolith and you need to teach them what are you doing technically that they will, well, Give you the, the, the best experience because at the end of the day you will design, you will create something that is in its nature flexible. So, for instance, the navigation bar—it's not cut in stone. Someone can just write a new feature and there's a new item. How does it behave in, under these conditions, right? So suddenly designers need to go beyond the static screen design and really think to, about these things, but also about organizational changes because, yeah, if you really distribute your code, suddenly responsibility should be also distributed and things like that. So it's really half and half. So one half very, very practical. The other half, I would still say practical, but maybe not for the, let's say, standard developer, more, let's say, for architects or decision makers than, and people to say, oh, I now want to know what, what is beyond the horizon if we go that way. Yeah, and certainly is one of the, the things I cover in here. And it's got a five-star average on Amazon. So, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> All of yeah. it. <laughs> it's a law, law of small numbers, so I wouldn't say it's, it's that. Uh, no, you got to market it. Sell the book. Five star yeah, on okay. Amazon. Like it's it flying off the shelves. Like you better get it now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I, I didn't want that to spoil your enthusiasm. No, I'm always, <laughs> as you said, I always try to be honest. So at the moment, I mean, the book is fresh, one month out there or so. I don't know how many reviews it now has on Amazon.com. On the German side, it has I think two reviews. Or three, I don't know. Anyway, all five stars at the moment. <laughs> it will not stay that way. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm a realist in that case, but still it would be happy if uh, any guy, any, any girl wants to have a look at that. Just also you can give me, let's say a message on Twitter, for instance, because I still have, I think 15 or 25% off the ebook. And there may be a chance I still have, I think some physical copies. So hard copies of this, that's like the one I hold in hand, that I could get you for free, actually, if you message me. But these are limited, actually. I think I have five or six left there. Uh, but anyway, if you're interested, always just ping me. I'm very open, of course. And uh, sorry, I, I want to sell the book more. It's the best book ever. It even discusses web development in general <laughs> in the introduction. You should read it. If you, if you don't know what CGI, SSI, and so on are, it's in there. <laughs> if we talked about tooling, Webpack, Parcel, it's all discussed in here. Why 
no, that's too new. That's not in this book yet. <laughs> I think, but I even um, have ES building here. So you can't say I'm, I'm yeah, I, there's still pretty new stuff in here. It could be, could be also confusing stuff. But anyway, any kind of criticism also to me, right? So if there is something you like to see improved, I don't know if there will ever be a second edition, but just tell me. I always also love to learn. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying the book is perfect, but I try to put everything I know about microphones in there. Even though, as always, right, you finish the book and you're like, hmm, there's this one cool thing I didn't mention. But then I just make a blog post about it and then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So, Florian, as we were talking about, if people want to get in touch with you about your book or about anything else, what are the best ways to reach you? I guess the best way is Twitter. Then my handle is Florian Ruppel, just one word. Uh, maybe we'll have the address also. Uh, in there. Uh, otherwise, I'm of course on GitHub. Uh, some of the projects I'm contributing there to are on Gitter. So this is a, a chat room. For instance, I'm very active in the Pyrel chat room. So if you're interested in, in a microphone and framework, Pyrel, I will also paste the address in there. Would be, would be one to check out. And uh, we have their public Gitter chat room. I'm very active there. You will see me. Uh, chatting around, giving answers to Pyrel in, in particular or microphones in general. And I think we have a great community. In our channel, we have, I don't know, 160, 170 people. Uh, not all, of course, active all day, but yeah, there's always one good answer for, for every question. And I will paste it in the chat room. Yeah, okay, cool. these are, I guess, the, the best ways to, to reach me. Otherwise, of course, email can give you this. And Otherwise, on my personal website, there are also all the, I mean, I'm also on Skype and so on, I, all the messengers, right? <laughs> you can reach me the messenger, which one? <laughs> yeah, it's like with this XKTD comic about all the, the standards, right? So there are certain standards. We need to embrace them all. We need a new one. There are now 40 <laughs> It's the same thing here. So we need a messenger to have all the messengers. Yeah, Very good. Excellent. <laughs> well, now is the portion of the show where we move into picks. So TJ, would you like to start us off this week? Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yeah, I'm going to pick some Marvel stuff. So I went to the theater for the first time and since COVID, which honestly was probably the, the best part of the experience. It was just really, I, I didn't realize, I'm not a big movie person. I didn't realize how much I sort of missed the atmosphere of this actually going, seeing a movie in person. And we saw Black Widow. It was pretty good. Um, I we, we definitely enjoyed it, but it set off a, now we have to watch all the Marvel things. So now we've been on Disney Plus and started WandaVision, which was mm -hmm. quite the trip, like very, very engaging and a very interesting show. So highly recommend, I guess, go to, if, if you can safely go to a movie theater now, I'd, I'd recommend getting back to that. And WandaVision has been a pretty good show. That sounds like a good re-entrance to the movies. Uh, Marvel movies very rarely disappoint me. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, my pick this week is going to be totally unrelated. It is a, a a GitHub course that I found, or I guess GitHub documentation, um, and it's called IoT for Beginners, and it's actually ma made by Microsoft. 
But if you've listened to the show with any regularity, you'll know that I, I started a new job about a month ago now. And the job, while it is web development, it is working for a company that specializes in Internet of Technology enablement called Blues Wireless. And so we we make things called note cards that connect to Raspberry Pis or Arduinos or to just the cloud by themselves. And so I need to actually understand how the Internet of Things works because I've never really interacted with it before. So, so I'm starting with some of the really basic online things that are available to, to kind of learn how to use Raspberry Pis and, and get into that, that sort of space. And this IoT for Beginners is very comprehensive. It's free. There's videos. There's build kits that they recommend. There's all kinds of really useful getting started from the very basics. And I'm really enjoying it. So I would recommend that for anybody who's kind of looking for an, an a foray into it. So Florian, do you have anything that you'd like to pick? Well, I mean, first of all, well, those are all good picks. Yeah, Black Widow, I still want to see. I've seen I can also stream it. It's the 20 euros, quite expensive actually for the streaming access there. But uh, anyway, WandaVision, I, yeah, I, I've seen the first two episodes. It was too crazy for me. I don't know. <laughs> I actually yeah, like my You, have, you have to like. stick with it because it starts absolutely insane and then they start yeah, to somewhat be, explain it. Yeah, but then I heard it, it got better. But I I mean, they lost me. Anyway, the, the Microsoft things, they're always great. I remember when Microsoft released, for instance, the cloud patterns, that was really great. So they always do a great job at documentation and being really comprehensive, really accessible and approachable. So that, that is certainly kick-ass. I need to check that out. So my pick would be a book, <laughs> an old book, but I mean, that for me is like a hidden classic, which is called, I don't know, Your Code as a Crime Scene. It's, yeah, an interesting book in that fact that sometimes, I mean, already things like, for instance, we, we heard about Git here, leaf trails where you can see where the problems are in your code base. So for instance, if you see that let's say a certain amount of commits is always in, in a part of your uh, application, a certain file, let's say, that usually doesn't carry any feature, but, you know, it's just, for instance, some orchestration layer, then you know architecturally something isn't right because after a while, I mean, it should stabilize pretty much and you should just see, for instance, changes in, well, new files being added, new features coming along. And if you see a pattern like that, well, you have a very healthy application. Congratulations. Usually, especially in my own applications, I see a lot of commits happening to files where, well, they should be already stable somehow, but either I'm just in refactoring mode or really something is not, is not really done right. And I mean, this book goes into a lot of patterns of detecting such fishy things, uh, what you can do then. And well, yeah, following then your crimes to detect what to improve. Because after all, we shouldn't just refactor for, yeah, refactoring sake, but we should refactor to make things more productive. But for that, we first need to recognize what's all making us not so productive. And this book is, I think, uh, at least for me, it was and still is when I when I open it, uh, a great guide to that. I will post an Amazon link for it. Excellent. That sounds like a really good read and something that I will definitely be looking into. I'm always looking for, for new ways to improve my own coding practices. Well, Florian, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today on React Roundup. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure. All right. We will see everybody on the next episode. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.